0: Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank Podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build.
1: It like a lot of incestuousness of the board of directors on every a lot of these firms. So I, I remember going to business school and looking at the board of directors because they put them in the textbook, and I'm like, wait, it's the same person on all four of these boards. I thought that <laughs> was very intriguing, you know. It was, it was uh, and I remember asking my accounting teacher. And I'm like, whoa, what's up with that? He's like, Patrick, that's the way the world works. I'm sorry to break it to you. You know, I'm like, wow.
2: (laughs) We discovered that if we just held a screwdriver against that two grandchild part, which we fitted to it, and then it worked fine from then on. And this illustrates another thing, which is if you've got a self-replicating machine, self-repair sort of comes free. In particular, if you've got two of them and one breaks, one can always repair the other. Okay, let's go back to economics again for a moment. Uh, Anybody who studied economics for more than 10 minutes learns about the idea of economies of scale and the idea that you can make things more cheaply if you scale production up. So on our left, we have a traditional blacksmith's forge uh, making horseshoes by the look of it. But of course, every village would have someone whose responsibility it was uh, to make gate hinges and horseshoes. and bolts for barns and all that sort of thing. Uh, On the right is a factory which is essentially intended to do just the same thing, it's a 19th century iron foundry Um, and of course that can make hinges much more cheaply than the blacksmith because people can specialise when you've got economies of scale you can have one person who's responsible for the design of the hinges, another person who's responsible for keeping the furnaces fired up and so on Um, and that allows the objects that have been manufactured to be manufactured much more cheaply. Something that's not mentioned when this is taught in economics classes often is the fact that this goes into reverse when technology gets cheap and simple enough. Cheap and simple technology reverses economies of scale. So on our left here we've got a 19th century laundry. hands up everybody who sends their clothes to the laundry like their grandparents did. Now, of course, none of you do because we've all got a robot in our kitchens that does our laundry for us. Now, that robot has a number of interesting characters. Well, the most interesting thing about it is that it washes our clothes, which is useful so we don't go around too smelly all the time. But, um, the other thing it does is nothing most of the time. We're quite happy to spend 400 quid on that robot and have it sit in our kitchen for 95% of the time, doing absolutely damn all. It doesn't matter that we spent that money on it, we're quite happy for the f- convenience of that 5% of the time when it's washing our clothes. It doesn't bother us at all. Also, it makes the cleaning of our clothes much more robust. If the water supply to the town laundry fails, everybody's clothes stay dirty. If the water supply, or indeed some mechanical part of our washing room robot fails, then we just knock on our neighbor's door and say, would you mind awfully if we just washed our clothes until the person comes to mend the machine? And assuming they're friendly, they'll say yes. Um, <laughs> another thing that's going this way um, is pow- the power to run all the electricity in here is being generated by something like this almost certainly. That's a two gigawatt power station. Um, But increasingly, and I'm one of these people, uh, people have their own power station sitting on their roofs. Um, And it's now the case that the two cheapest forms of energy that you can get are solar and wind. Uh, And the only reason why they've not completely taken over is the storage problem. Uh, So this is another example of this reversal of economies of scale when the technology gets cheap enough and convenient enough, we distribute it around the place. And of course, in principle, uh, this is a much more robust solution than this. If this fails, a whole county goes dark, assuming you're powering your own home with batteries and solar cells. uh, If yours fail, only your house goes dark. So let's look at the convenience and robustness of distribution. Um, Pretty much everybody in the developed world today has their own CD pressing plant. Um, They've got their own photographic laboratory. uh, And they've got their own printing press. Uh, And of course, they don't look like these traditional versions of those things. They look like the object that I'm using to give you this talk in front of me. uh, Because that's taken over those functions. And these are other functions that used to be industrial. Does everybody remember those yellow envelopes that you used to put rolls of film in and send them away and you know, your prints would come back a week later. No, not anymore. No point. You can get them instantly. And similarly, if you want party invitations, I can remember my parents going to the printer in town and ordering headed notepaper from the printer and a ream of headed note paper. This is, I think, even the days before A-size a papers. So a ream of full scat note paper uh, came back with our address printed nicely on the top, and we used to write thank you letters to our aunts and uncles at Christmas on this stuff. Dear Auntie Margaret, thank you for your wonderful present, which, of course, means that you've forgotten what it was already, um, uh, and so on. And printed headed note paper was a thing does that, you just have a file on your computer which you stick the text of your letter in, assuming you want to send one using pieces of paper at all. Um, So if we're going to do this, if everybody's going to uh, take all of these pieces of technology back to themselves from the economies of scale, because it's so cheap and so simple, uh, why shouldn't people run their own factory to make their own stuff? And if you're interested, we'll see the link to the RepRap website in a little while. Um, uh, there are papers on there which show that in fact it's economic for an average family in the developed world to own a 3D printer already because of the amount of money it saves on printing cat flaps and spare bits for lavatory systems and all that sort of thing that you can do, it like the washing machine, just 5% of the time. And if we're going to have everybody having their own factory, Let's make it like agriculture, where anybody who has a seed can grow a plant and then give their friend a seed for the same plant. Uh, let's make it a factory that makes more factories. That way, if you've got one, you can make one and give it to her, and, or possibly sell it to her for the cost of the parts. Uh, the very first rep-rap changed hands from the person who made it to his friend uh, for the price of a crate of beer. This makes me a happy person. And, of course, as I've already hypothesized, and it is only a hypothesis hypothesis, uh, when I was talking about the nature of self-replication and the unique characteristics that food has that it's entirely self-replicating. Self-replication is inherently distributive, just like food production, and it works against concentration, uniquely amongst all technologies. And so, if we go down this route to production, and I'm not saying that we're going to be making super tankers using machines like the one illustrated on the right anytime soon, but if we go down this route to production and expand upon it, then uh, it seems to me that that might well take us away from this difficulty that we have with most technologies, causing the concentration of wealth, increase of inequality, and also Uh, the growth of monopolies, uh, all of those are militated against by things that copy themselves. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Thank you very much indeed.
0: okay you ready? I'm ready Cool, all right so good evening good afternoon good morning everyone. Uh, welcome to the Marxist think tank podcast. Today we have with us uh, Patrick Conlon. Patrick is from uh, works and he is going to be talking to us about cooperatives about work ownership enterprises and um, perhaps some other things So welcome Patrick it's great to have you Thank you for having me Cool 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 cool. So, yes, Patrick, um, I mentioned uh, Works there. So, do you mind telling me what exactly is Works and what does Works do?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Works is a nonprofit organization. It stands for Worker Ownership Resources and Cooperative Services. And in a nutshell, what we do is we develop, incubate, and also uh, convert uh, existing businesses into worker cooperatives. Um, so, that would be like the, that's pretty much in a nutshell what we do. I think our what our aims are. Are uh we were concentrating on the American Southwest in the beginning. So think of like San Diego, LA, Phoenix, and uh Las Vegas, for instance, that kind of you know, that four city tri you know, that quad area, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So but eventually, you know, we want to do we do want to contribute to democratizing the economy, you know, of the entire United States eventually would be our, our big our big goal. Um, but you know, as far as the day-to-day or kind of the things that we have more control over would be, you know, that particular area and turning, you know, co-ops, supporting, you know, public banking initiatives. That won't be our focus, but that does, it does create a pipeline for us, you know, as far as like financing and things like that. And just kind of derivative topics, you know, that do relate to uh, cooperative ownership and cooperative economics in general.
0: Mm, mm. Okay. Interesting. Um, So, you work with existing co-ops in the southwest, sort of quad uh, quad quadru- 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 area you mentioned, and you well, said you not, in the,
1: not in the southwest; they're around the country. There's actually I'm in a part of the country where there's not a lot okay. of co-ops. So I'm in a I have a, a unique challenge uh, in this area where there's only a handful of co-ops where uh, we do. We're talking to bigger co-op networks in Baltimore, the Bay Area, New York City, and elsewhere, and trying to bring them, you know, to the, the Americans. Okay. For a little clarity, yeah.
0: So, so, where is the biggest cluster of co ops in the US then?
1: Statistically, it's Northern California. That's where one third of uh, the entire, all of uh, the co ops in the United States exist, from some of the stuff okay. I've read. Uh, sorry, what, what, how much? How many? Well, one, one third? One third. One, one third, third are in the Northern California, pr- primarily the Bay Area. Okay, I see. Yeah,
0: right. And, and close to, okay, in the Bay Area, right? So, so quite sort of, I guess, close to close to cities, I suppose, is not much. Is it more of a, more of an urban phenomenon, or than or a rural phenomenon?
1: You know, that's a really uh, kind of an interesting kind of uh, um, question, and the reason why is because in the twenty first century, it's an urban phenomenon, where in the twentieth, it was a rural phenomenon. Right, So. Right. But, you know, if you but, you know, back in the day, you know, back in, you know, when America had more agrarian or equestrian and those kinds of industries where like one out of 10 or nine people lived in the rural areas. Mm -hmm,
2: uh, mm -hmm. You
1: know, now three out of 100 people live in the rural areas or at least uh, or in the agricultural industry, if I should say. Mm, mm, mm. So the dynamics, the dynamics, the economic dynamics of the country are much different. So it's sure, right now sure. it's more of an urban intrigue opposed to a rural intrigue from my mm-hmm. from my observation. But there are there is rural cooperatives still.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's it, right? So, like, um, uh, historically speaking, cooperatives were big for farming. Farm, farming cooperatives is a big thing historically. Uh, maybe not necessarily in the U.S., but I know in, in other countries that was the case. Um, so, like, what what do co-ops? What co-ops do? Uh, i sorry. What kind of business do co-ops do at the moment? So, the co-ops that are existing right now in the U.S. What sectors do they sort of dominate in? Is there a particular sector, or are they are spread across the board? Is it just a, it's, a, a shotgun spread?
1: You know, it's it's actually I've actually never got a, a straight answer from this, but let me like let me um, from ops like this is more anecdotal because there's only 600 worker co-ops in the United States now. There's 29,000 co-ops in general in the United States if you count credit unions, if you count consumer co-ops if you count this kind of co-op that kind of co-op whatever kind of co-op there's only about 600 something like that five to 600 in the united states um and it goes up and down but and i mean i'm seeing a lot of it in uh service areas service sectors okay so so that's not it's a little still a little general but you know i've seen like the act the echo adventure co-op they're outside of yosemite valley and that's more service dominated where they have like a tiny little room you know they do uh Tours for Yosemite Valley, so they can go fishing and stuff like that. I've seen okay. a few of them. Um, I've seen a lot of bike co-ops. So if you are a bike bicycle enthusiast, you know, like a bike repair shop or a place where you can acquire a bike, um, you know, and and things like that. I've seen you know, cra- we call them craft co-ops. Right. Um, okay. You know, like when it comes to worker co-ops and things like that, health. I've seen it in healthcare, for instance. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are the kinds of areas where I've seen them the most, maybe like childcare. I've seen a few examples, some of the, so yeah, just to guy, it's, it's not, I mean, this is slim pickings, you know, there's not that many. If you go on the U S Federation's website, U S Federation of worker co-ops and you go cooperative list, they actually have, they, they only have about half of the co-ops that exist in the United States. But if you kind of want to have more of a, an empirical or kind of like a, a better feel for what kind of sure. cooperative. There are, I mean, there's anything from engineering to weird, you know, like making chemicals to, uh, God, uh, garden equipment, selling garden equipment. Um, okay. There's cafes, restaurants and things like that. Bakeries. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's, I'm seeing it more labor intensive industries. Okay. As opposed to capital intensive. Right, 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 right,
0: right. In terms of like, uh, manufacturing, any, um, manufacturing cops.
1: Uh, that come to mind that you've seen or, uh, or noteworthy? You know what? No. Um, I I think there might be an engineering, some kind of engineering uh, thing like in Wisconsin. I can, I can send you more information on that. Um, I haven't really seen any big scale and, you know, uh, industrial, uh, you know, like if it is manufacturing, it's like light manufacturing. And there is one that does come to my mind in Wisconsin. I can send you more information on, but um, it doesn't ring a bell. Um, Uh far as manufacturing goes
0: okay okay okay
1: yeah fair enough enough. that's fine
0: um i mean yeah so for the the purpose of of listeners um cooperative is quite a broad term and um perhaps you can help us understand that they have to explain that when people think of a co-op they might automatically think of a worker co-op like you mentioned but you said there's only 500 to 600 worker co-ops the majority are actually um i suppose you'd call them consumer co-ops so what's the difference between a consumer co-op or like a, a credit union and a worker-owned
1: co-op. Sure. Yeah. Like I was saying, um, it's about twenty-nine thousand co-ops last time I checked. You know, inside the United States, and you know, a lot of Americans do participate in some some form of cooperative cooperative activity or not, whether they're conscious of it. But to answer your question, okay, so a worker co-op is when the workers themselves are their own board of directors and there's a one share, one vote, uh, one member kind of structure opposed to like a traditional business and a traditional business has their ownership structure is one share, one vote. And, you know, like, and to, to kind of be, uh, you know, to describe that would be, you know, like Disneyland, you know, Disney, for instance, is a very famous company and we all watch the Mandalorian and stuff. And, you know, everyone in yeah, yeah, yeah. one way or another, but let me, we kind of ha- help people understand how the structure of that works so to bring it home is there might be millions of people that own Disney and they do through shares and you know you can go and Robin Hood and buy a share of Disney today if you wanted but if you really want to understand how the ownership structure works is the people that really make the decisions for Disney because you can as soon as you own a share you can go to vote on some kind of uh you know owner meeting or shareholder meeting annually but usually what happens in a major corporation like that is there's like around five to 20 different uh, bulk shareholders and bulk shareholders are people that own like 5%, 10%, 15, whatever percent, but together they, you know, they control the controlling interest of a major multi-billion dollar company. It's usually the case like that. There are exceptions, but you know, the, you know, for the sake of the argument, they're not very relevant. So, but in a worker co-op, it means one, you know, the workers themselves are their own board of directors. So in a, company like Disney, the board of directors are decided by the shareholders. And it's usually people that are officers or have some kind of deep corporate impact or board members of a variety of different corporations around, around uh, corporate America. And there's like five, 600 major corporations in the United States, just heads up. And they mm-hmm. said, be a lot of incestuousness of the board of directors on every, a lot of these firms. So I, I remember going to business school and looking at the board of directors because they put them in the textbook and I'm like, wait, it's the same person on all four of these boards. <laughs> I thought that was very intriguing, you know, it was, it was, and I remember asking my accounting teacher and I'm like, Whoa, what's up with that? He's like, Patrick, that's the way the world works. I'm sorry to break it to you. You know, I'm like, wow.
2: <laughs> Interesting.
1: You know, so um, it was, it was kind of like a deep kind of wow moment, but you know, in a, in a worker co-op, it's when the workers themselves are the ones are who are their own board of directors, you know, and bigger co-ops, they elect them or, you know, there's some kind of workers worker driven worker input, <clears throat> you know, but so that's uh, – yeah, just to kind of help people understand like the fundamental difference and how the, the, the drama of the difference between the two. So, okay, mm-hmm. that's a co-op. All right, so a credit union is like the – deposit. it's like a depositors' co-op. So if you, own, you have a bank account in a credit union, you are now a voting member, and you get to decide on who the board of directors are. And the board mm-hmm. of directors are the ones that make the decisions, that tell the management what to do, and then the management – it's still – capitalistic in the sense of there's an employee employer relationship as far as labor goes. But as far as like the decision-making, there is st- there is a democratic element to it. Right, where the- And that's the same with a consumer co-op. Consumer co-ops are almost the exact same thing where the customers themselves that decide to purchase like a member share, they get to vote on the board. But there could be – there's still that kind of employee employer relationship that's still capitalistic in those kinds of co-ops – um, then there's a then there's a multi-stakeholder co-op, which is kind of fascinating. There's a few examples of that um, in and around, uh, you know, the consumer co-op world. And what that is is that's a it's like a high it's a co-determination or an auto-gestion between workers and consumers. So what happens is you share board seats with workers who may be the owners, and then also uh, the consumers who buy their member shares. And there's like a power-sharing agreement. It's kind of, you know, think of like in Germany where they, if you have like 500 more employees and you share, like, I don't know, you give, I think it's like one third of the board of directors goes to workers and over 1500 workers. It's like 49% is worker. Rep- it's like the same thing in the co-op world between, uh, in multi-stakeholders, uh, multi-stakeholder co-ops. Um, hmm. and then I'm just trying to think of some other examples of co-ops. I mean, there's, there's things like producer co-ops. That, you know I don't really call them co-ops but they kind of are in some kind of way where it's the democratic ownership of biz- businesses over like let's say a uh, like farmers for instance you know to, to buy machinery it might cost like two million dollars to right. buy kind of thing that mills grain right so what happens is the farmers like each individual farmer can't afford that so what they do is they find every farmer within a 50 mile radius or something like that to all go in on the machinery mm-hmm. and then they democratically own the equipment and what on the property and whatever else you know, whatever other input or whatnot, and yeah. then they share. They have some kind of sharing system, you know. And some hmm. another joint business co op thing would be like Ocean Spray, you know, that kind of really astringent cranberry juice you can mix with your cocktails, yeah, you know. Yeah, like that's a producer co-op where it's a bunch of cranberry farmers that all get together and then they supply the co-op with like cranberries, and I guess you know they turn it into juice. And they that producer slash marketing co-op, you know, now you know has the relationships with retail establishments around the world or country or whatever.
2: I don't, I don't know
1: what, what, what I don't know enough about their distribution plan, but you know, my point is it gets distributed everywhere, and that's right. a producer co-op. So just to kind of understand, co-op is a very um, red-washed term. So, there is a lot of red. There's, I call it red wash, You know, a green wash. Thing is. Was, yeah, green I know. Green washing. Something that might, you know, they say they're green, but they're, you know, it's really not fundamentally. It's just kind of like a marketing, you know, marketing cliche where, I, you know, I call something redwashing. And you can Google this. It's actually a legitimate term. I right.
0: No, I, 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 yeah. First time I've heard it, but I understand what it means. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. You can Google it and it's actually a thing. You know, I didn't, I was like, okay. oh, wow, I didn't make this up. This is actually a thing. I don't, it's not widely used, though. So, but um, redwashing is, you know, similar, like where, hey, we're an ESOP. You yeah. know, it, there's, you know, one of the questions you asked me was, you know, what, what, what is the difference between a co-op and, uh, you know, worker ownership? Well, you know, one of the fun, you know, so there are different kinds of co-ops that have, you know, uh, employees and members or quote, I'll have a different relationship with that entity where just because something's worker owned doesn't necessarily mean much, you know, and there's about six. And let me talk about ESOPs. Because ESOPs mm-hmm. are a very fascinating yeah. part of the discussion. Is there's about six thousand ESOPs in the United States in this year, right? And maybe they, assuming a bunch of them have been crashing the ground in the last year, you know, um, I have I haven't seen the new stats for these things yet. But um, there's, there traditionally there's or recently there's been six thousand ESOPs. Now, what does an ESOP stand for? It means employee stock uh, option plan. Okay, so that means the employees own stock, right? But ESOPs are funny. They're really funny to me because, like, they're they're hilarious sometimes. Sometimes. You know, sometimes they're really actually – there's about 10 of them that are uh, democratic. You know, they okay. have a semblance of democracy, 10 out of 6,000. So there there are – and I can't name them um, off the top of my head. I do know people that do know what which ones these, uh, these are. But the vast majority of yeah. – Esops, and we're actually going to be doing a video on a, someone who's a professional, uh, professional esop creator from the Ohio, uh, sorry, uh, Ohio Employ, Employment Center, and okay. I'm doing that. With sister Organization Lucy. So they, I'm that might be a question of which uh, which esops are democratic. I didn't spend the time sure. to do up, but you know, when most people are familiar with Winco or there, I think it's. Uh, Oh my god, what's that famous one in Florida that's getting uh, <laughs> there's a famous one in Florida that's a Publix.
0: Aesop. In what's it, what was
1: it called? Publix. Uh, P-U-V-L-I-X. And okay. you know that they're just mired in controversy, but pretty much like most esops just to kind of give everyone like a good understanding of what that means is it's when the employees own stock, but if you really really want to know like the deep down like core of it is a lot of times the management own most of the stock and the mm-hmm. people that uh, make the most money are the ones that own most of the stock. So what happens is it could, a lot of ESOPs are in fact better than traditional businesses. Don't get me wrong. They, they sure. are in fact sure. better from a financial standpoint, but when it comes, you know, to things like the alienation of labor, you know, things like that, they're just equally as horrible. Um, right. Right. In that, in that respect, you know, I've talked to people in ESOPs uh, that are, cause like a lot of times the owner wants to sell and then all of a sudden they convert it into an ESOP for tax reasons. So it's like some kind of, you know, tax benefit to, you know, selling a company and turning it into an ESOP. But, you right. know, when I talk to workers at ESOPs, there's still the employee-employer relationship. Gotcha. But, you know, so, you know, all your friends that are uh, in the Marxist think tank, you know, L- the LTV still, the LTV uh, principle still applies very, uh, pertinently. in <laughs> these. um... In these institutions, so okay. Uh, yeah.
0: Okay, I see. Okay, so
1: just to break it down for a lot of people, because I've talked to a lot of people said, that no, you know, no, I think it's a mystified it. subject, and I'm like, let me break it, it, it down.
0: It is, it is, it is. You're right, and, and, and like you said, there's, there's variations of co-op. Then you have ESOP, as you explained it, so sort of like a partial, sort of uh rent-washed front of of, of, of uh, worker ownership, I suppose. And, um, I think another one that you didn't mention is perhaps like a marketing co-op, which is probably similar to, um, the, uh, the farming example you gave. So where uh, a bunch of different, uh, maybe co-ops themselves form a bigger co-op that they all then chip money into to help with marketing of their goods. Um, basically something that couldn't be afforded by a single co-op. Um, they come in together and chip in for a bigger project. And that could be marketing. It could be capital equipment. something like that right this is another example i think that maybe
1: there's a few like an equipment co-op like for instance um you know one of the things i might organize or help organize is there's a bunch of food vendors in la and what's Hmm. happening in los angeles is these you know i'm talking about people with carts that are making like you know they they put fruit in a bowl and they put chimo oil over it and tahini and it's a really little tasty snack you know And, and and they're called fruiteros and there's a few other people like making tacos and stuff and they're getting uh There's these kind of, like, big bureaucracies, you know, within these bigger cities where they can't operate, so they have to get a kitchen. But for every individual uh, operator, the the barriers of entry are too high. So I might help – you know, I'm feeling generous, so I'm like, you know, because I want the concept of a co-op to kind of permeate because we have these problems in the United States of, you know – this whole co-op concept opposed to other countries. Um, but, you know, creating a, a, like a collective kitchen where the, the fruteros and the uh, taqueros as they're called. And also, you know, getting a one member, one vote type of ownership of like a kitchen that has like six units where they can produce, the, you know, whatever they need because they need those kinds of like food grade commercial kitchens in order to produce the raw materials for what they do. You know, for instance, they're making tacos <laughs> or you know, these fruit carts or fruit cups or whatever they are. So, you know, that's an, ex- that would be like an example. That would be an urban example of the same farmer co-op or equipment. So just heads up.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's, good. That's good. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose one thing I'll, I'll touch on, I suppose people might be thinking about this is like, um, you've got your co-op and you are now uh, worker owned. So each uh, worker has a vote. Um, it's board of directors. Does the co-op, have lots and lots of meetings like does this democracy make things a little bit difficult sometimes you know so um you elect the board of directors but now 51 percent or 60 percent of the workers decide they don't like a certain series of decisions that's been made by the board so they kind of overthrow it or call call in the board of directors they 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 they, they, they hold an emergency general meeting um is this kind of a problem for co-ops is does the democracy make things a little bit messy sometimes a little bit difficult sometimes
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on the governance model, too. Keep in mind, you know, it's like there's, you know, like, for instance, one of the things we teach a lot is sociocracy. So it's, like, governed by consent, you know, Mm -hmm. and and pretty much, you know, try to get consensus on a lot of different things. And there's a different round, you know, system of rounds of how you do things. And, um, you know, like, some co-ops have what's called modified consent, where it's more of, like, a supermajority to kind of simplify. You know, there's more nuances to that, what that trade. Let's keep it simple for the audience. Like, so, yeah, I mean, democracies are not, like, perfect, you know. But, I mean, the thing is the alternative is, you know, working – so let me give you an example. Like, the average wage in the United States for a co-op is about $20 an hour. And a lot of these co-ops are in places where the wages would be, like, rock bottom, you know, like a restaurant or something labor-intensive and things like that. You know, that, that average could go way up. You know, if most of the economy was democratized, for instance, but like because of the most horrible, you know, a lot of the places where the wages are the lowest, you know, the co ops or co op interest is the highest, you know? So, but on top of that, they could get a 9,000, they get like the average, national average right now is like a $9,000 patronage dividend. So imagine working $20 an hour and getting an additional nine grand a year mm. you know, at a co op. So that democracy, it might be a bigger headache, but like, it's worth it, you know, like financially worth it. And also some people really, I, you know, I've talked to all kinds of, you know, random workers like around the United States. And it seems like there is, there is quite a, you know, I hate to use this word, but there's quite a market of different workers, you know, that actually value having an input or say, and they, mm-hmm. you know, in, in their work and not just being told what to do, get a paycheck mm-hmm. and go home. So they're, they're definitely, it, it's like I said, it's not for everybody. Per se, um, but I definitely, I definitely see it, this being extraordinarily beneficial. The, the struggles that you may have with conflict resolution within your your co ops is definitely worth it for a lot mm-hmm. of different people because the alternative is just is unsanit, you know, it's unpotable or it's un uh, unpalatable. It's unpalatable, mm-hmm. I should say, you know, the alternative or what we're currently dealing with. Okay, I see. But so the, what is the governance models are key, you know? Right. Okay. So 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 it key. can be a,
0: it can be a a big, big thing. I mean, there's two questions I'll ask. Um, uh, I'll, let me go for the first one. I won't, won't, won't go the second one straight away. Um, what's the most successful uh, or, or big, uh, not necessarily the big is the most successful, um, co-op in the U.S. right now? Your, your favorite co-op that you like to think about?
1: Well, those are two different questions. My favorite co-op is the Arizmendi and Obron. Okay. So okay. I'll tell you, those are the two ones that are interesting to me. The most successful co-op, it's like a healthcare co-op in uh, in the Bronx, and it's called like the Healthcare Associates, I believe it's called. It's like a it's twelve hundred members, um, and twelve hundred member owners, and it's been around for I think twenty five years. That's technically the most uh, most successful in the United States, or, or largest. Let me say it's the largest. Um, the most interesting one to me is you know Obron and also Airs Mendy. Now there are two different kinds of co-op models; they're not the same thing, and Erasmendi is creating, you know, they're inspired by Erasmendorieta, you know, which is, you know, the priest that started Mondragon in Spain uh, in 1956. They kind of yes. cut it off. You know, they cut his name in half because I feel like they, they were smart enough to understand that Americans weren't going to real, you know, they weren't going to remember the full size of his name. So they kind of anglicized it <laughs> They called it Erasmendi. Um, you know, <laughs> that's probably, I don't know what the story is behind that, but it's just like, you know, it's yeah. kind well, it's kind of funny about that. It's kind of funny, but like it's, um, but Erismendi Bakery is a really awesome bakery where, you know, the average baker in the United States makes about $13 an hour. Yeah. $13 an hour. So, but at Erismendi, the average ba- uh, worker owner, they make about 26 to $27 an hour. And then they also Mm -hmm. get patronage dividends on that. I haven't gotten information on their patronage dividends, Um, but, you know, there's about five bakeries. There's a cheese board, which is like some cheese making or cheese retail. And then they also have a construction company that has to do with the housing cooperative. But they actually want to replicate the Mondragon model. Maybe not, you know, maybe not the internationalization of Mondragon, but, you know, like the, you know, which has got them in a lot of trouble. But, you know, the, you know, the domestic... The domestication of you know Mondragon is pretty interesting, and because it's a federation, and a federation, these are macro models, not micro models. Micro, micro models are like governance structures and things like that. But macro models are like um, uh, okay, so there's like seven, five to seven coops, you know, within this this cluster, right? So then they have a mother organization called the Erasmendi Association of Cooperatives, and. They kick up about four percent of their surplus, you know, to this like mother organization, and it's like a franchise model. The the bakeries are, but they, but it's not like the franchise. It's not. It doesn't share a lot of the negativities, but it shares some of the positivities. Where there's like brand consistency, each co-op has like autonomy, but they all have to follow like you know certain sta- standards to be part of that association. So there is brand consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, between the different co-ops and things like that. So there is kind of like a you know, uh I would say operational constraints or certain kinds of constraints, but they're within reason of why they do that. But there's still a lot of autonomy between different co-ops. But it's 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 really fascinating what they've done because a lot of these co ops make anywhere from like, you know, one to seven million dollars a year in revenue. Oh. And you know, what I mean, so they, they are pretty serious enterprises. These aren't like anything to laugh at. You know, sure, they're not sure. like they're not like multi-million, you know, they're not like Mondragon that is like $26 billion in your business. I mean, we're not there yet. But right. as far as for the American context, um, you know, it is it is very promising that they've been as successful as they have been in a lot. I think they started in 96 is what I read on their website. Right, right. <clears throat> so That's pretty impressive. Okay,
0: that's pretty impressive. So um, you've mentioned Mondragon. Obviously, this is a big thing that comes up with uh, any conversation about co-ops. So, I mean, without necessarily giving us the whole history of Mondragon, I mean, I think people can read about that and probably some people have already. Some I got basic-
2: documentaries
1: on my website. If you want to go okay. watch documentaries okay. on Mondragon, you can go to my resource page and we got all kinds of stuff for you.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So perhaps let's, let's cut to the, the end of the story. What, what, what do you think of the Mondragon situation now and,
1: and how things have, have, have emerged now? Like, yeah, what's your opinion on that? I mean, to be honest, you know, it's, uh, you know, Mondragon was the first co-op in the world at scale. Mm -hmm. Still workers self-directed. Though there are flaws, you know, and I think that's kind of like one thing that I'm going to have to like, you know, I bring a lot of people down to earth on this because it's like, just think about that for one second. You know, how long did it take for capitalism to get the, get its stuff together? Mm -hmm. It was a Mm -hmm. complete epic disaster in Roman times. I mean, or it's just kind of like. The best metaphor I like to use, for instance, for, you know, capitalism is like human beings came from like little rats during the dinosaur age. And I feel like that's what capitalism was during the times of Roman slavery and feudalism and all these other, you know. But what ended up happening was uh, conditions changed, meaning transportation, communication, like the printing press, trains, you know, uh, energy, like using fossil fuels and stuff like that made capitalism be able to do its thing and you know for we don't have the conditions yet necessarily to have what are called lateral uh, economies of scale we can only do vertical economies of scale with the technology of you know the things i just mentioned Mm -hmm. so it's you know i mean like we're kind of constrained by a handful of things though there are you know this future is becoming more tangible with blockchain or hologram and a few of these other types of things that are starting to emerge Mm -hmm. um you know Alternative, you know, there's more development in technologies that may bring us out of it. But you have to understand, meaning like Mondragon is not going to be perfect. Um, it, it's it, it can't be perfect within a lot of the conditions that it's it's faced under. So um and there's they've made they've made mistakes, you know. But at the same time, it was still working self-directed. <laughs> so you know what I mean. <clears throat> and are humans perfect? No. But uh, Mondragon, there's actually a there's actually an excellent Um, there's actually an excellent blog. I haven't put it on my website yet. Yeah. They talk about a lot of the mistakes Mondragon has made and they are excellent things to learn from. Like for instance, Fagor factory, why did the Fagor factory fail like eight years ago? And it's, it's very intriguing. They made a lot of mistakes you can learn from, you know? So, you know, they had Taylorist ways of manufacturing. So they, They had this like weird U-shaped form of manufacturing. They try, you know, they tried to implement, and it did help. But you know, they ended up bringing a lot of people because they also had nepotism. For instance, in the Fedor ended up happening was uh, they what ended up happening was with uh, they the nepotism. They brought a lot of people that didn't value democracy. So what happens is they had a bunch of people because it was the kids and the nephews and whoever else you know was part of that or network. And that's that's what happened, so mm-hmm. that was that was the issue. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, you know, Mondragon was the first co op in the world to scale. It did things that even Robert Owen could probably have never even dreamed of, you know, and any other. So, just when I hear that, I'm like, yes, they've made a lot of mistakes they're and they should be held accountable. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it, the, it shouldn't negate their accomplishments.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You use a phrase there, which I which
0: I like. Um, and I, maybe you can explain what, what you mean by that Particularly um,
1: Vertical economies of scale and lateral economies Of scale, so what, what do you mean by that? Sure What is What are economies of scale? So let's like talk about that Right, you know, economies of scale are like pretty Much, you know for, Why is Walmart able to Produce a good or service or make something Cheaper than, you know, like another Retail outlet, you know, that's smaller It's because they're able to buy in bulk right they're able to buy in bulk and, or let's say it's like a big manufacturing company and they're competing against a small guy. How come they're able to, um, you know, how come they're able to produce something lower than the other person? It has to do with economies of scale where the marginal cost to produce an item is less. So what is the marginal cost? Marginal cost has to do with um, the, co- the cost for each additional unit, um, the cost of each additional unit after fixed costs. Right. So like, for instance, if you're, if you're in the home rental business, you know, for instance, you're, uh, you know, you, the fixed cost is buying the home because it's an investment property, but like, then you start renting it out and then each additional, you know, hour a month, you know, that you're, or that it's, you know, pretty much, it's pretty much like getting rid of your fixed costs and like what the margins are after that. So nice. what's interesting is Rifkin, Jeremy Rifkin is probably the one that he can explain this the best because he has this like, you know, you know, theory. I'm still dive, diving into the concept of it and things like that. Okay. But what's going to end up happening is, um, you know, through blockchain technologies, AI and things like that, we're going to be able to let we're going to be able to decentralize production in a way that's competitive with vertical with vertical integrations. Okay. Horizontal integrations. And, you know, what I mean, so what's going to be very interesting is like, let me give you an example. Right. So solar energy. Um, you know, the marginal cost for solar energy is like near zero after you pay, you know, because it takes three to nine years to like pay off a solar, but to produce, you know, more electricity is like near zero after that, because you're using the sun's energy. It's, there's no cost. So what's going to end up happening is, um, you know, for instance, energy production is going to, it's going to completely transfer because it's going to happen is we're going to integrate, we're going to integrate like the solar panels with different parts of the world. So what's going to happen is one, you know, if it's cloudy in Los Angeles but it's sunny in, right. we're going to be able to transfer, you know, the energy produced in Dallas to LA to compensate, you know, for the lack of energy and vice versa and things like that. So it's opposed to like how we have our energy production now, where you we dig it out of the ground, we put it in a barrel and then we send it across the world and then we sell it for a certain amount per barrel or you know, and then the end pro- the end product the end product is gasoline and mm-hmm. so you know what I mean? So it's, so pretty much there's going to be like, there's going to be like a collaborative economy that I'm seeing going to be built. Like for instance, transportation is going to be much different where, you know, we're going to have self-driving cars. I don't know, in the next 10, 20 years, depending on, you know, if Elon Musk is taking engineering seriously and not crap, you know, purposely, you know, BSing his engineering, you know, and, but my point, my point being is what Rifkin's saying is we're going to integrate, we're going to integrate like all these AI vehicles and yeah. what's is there's going to be like the sharing. Of co- like imagine Uber on a shared, on a shared brain.
2: Mm, mm, mm,
1: mm. You know what I mean? Like all yeah. electric cars, it's all a shared brain. And so it's going to completely transform, uh, you know, our transportation system. So that's going to allow it for decentralization in a right. way we can't even, you know, most Americans can't even imagine this, you know, it's, right. it's psychologically, I don't know as a people. I mean, I'm very American centric cuz I, I don't travel the world very, you know, I've been okay. Ireland, a while, So I use America as an example uh, a lot. So um so but yeah, I mean to kind of give you an idea um of what like a, a lateral economies of scale could be. I mean these are things that we can't really imagine quite in the year tw- uh, 2021 but you know, countries like Germany are already putting laying down the infrastructure for this kind of stuff, you know. It's it's interesting.
0: So just one on the great. on the um, so obviously, vertical uh, economies of scale means that obviously the the economy of scale favors um, is going up towards a sort of lesser and lesser people, so it goes to a, a point to a to a one owner. Is that is that what that vertical element means? That it, it's it goes up and it doesn't spread across to many people, whereas lateral means that yeah, uh, so I wouldn't say one,
1: one owner. I wouldn't say one owner because that's not a really good way to describe sure, like sure, like a major sure. company. Like the Disney example, for instance, it's more right. of like you know, there's board of directors that tell the management what to do. And then the management have like, you know, all the people that get rented out at the bottom of the of the food chain where yeah. you're going to the ability to have more of a democratic ownership is going to be you know more feasible because, you, you know, you're going to have to like laterally expand, you know, mm-hmm. I guess. Or there's going to be more democracy, for instance, you're going to share. You know, like surplus, you're going to share your surplus with others and then trade, you know, so opposed to, you know, like more profit driven, because like what's going to happen is, like I was saying, like when you have the fixed costs that are near zero, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, you're not going to be able to profit off of it. So like businesses are not going to be able to, you know, produce something and keep getting, you know, margin mm-hmm. that, you know, so there's going to be like there's going to be like the market capitalist markets that will remain and there's going to be like the creative commons. So, like I said, the person you really want to listen to is Jeremy Rifkin on this kind of stuff, because I'm still wrapping my head around it. Um, but, you know, I've given you some tidbits, you know, that sure. I should lecture some of the stuff he's written. Um, but the person you really want, you know, if you want a takeaway, go go check him out. He's a liberal mm-hmm. economist. He's not like a radical or any, anybody, but kind of is. So, okay. like, it's just not okay. you know, okay. like just he's like a classical liberal kind of, you know, in that in that um you know from okay. uh, you know thinker you know like a classical one i'm talking about one from the
0: no i understand what you mean yeah classical i brought it sure sure yeah,
1: classical. so not a not a new one
0: no 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 not sure um, yeah, well, not, no, no, not so,
1: but <laughs> so he, he's definitely worth a read it, it's a trip it's a, a trip because it's very okay. cool. he used to teach at the wharton school of business out of all places and the stuff that he says is remarkable you know like how to, you know how did this guy survive you know uh, right Schools, you know, the school and teaching there. You know, how do they let him teach there? So, um, sure, yeah. Okay. I, I hope that I gives hope you kind of. I hope that no, has, no, that's hope fine, that's that fine. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've
0: got an idea of, of what you mean by lateral economies of scale. Um, okay, let, let's let's. Uh, I mean, we mentioned the risk meet Arismead, sorry, Arismeed, um, bakery or sort of co-op network. Um, you mentioned that you know the average wage in that industry is thirteen dollars an hour. These guys are getting $27 an hour, and then they get a nice little, uh, you know, lump sum at the end of the year. Um, and, you know, there's another example you said sort of where the average wage is, is obviously minimum wage, and some of the co-ops are getting $20 an hour, so substantially higher wages um, in, in various examples. So, I mean, uh, if, if co-ops do offer more reward and power, so you get the democratic side to it too, um... Why don't, you know, workers, the majority of people, uh, why don't co-ops sort of dominate the market? Why isn't everyone setting up a co-op? Why isn't everyone um, demanding that their workplace become a co-op? Why is that not happening uh, on a big scale? You
1: yeah, know, there's, there's actually a lot of, um, there's actually, that's a really complicated question. I can go into there's I'm going to go into the points, you know, like, but it's sure. not like, it's not like a one sentence. I don't know. No, yeah, it's, sure. It, it's more, you know, it's, it, there is actually no. a lot of, yeah this this answer so like okay sure. so one the one the one big one i always start with this one is if you if you went to where are you're, you're in beijing I right imagine so you're yeah. in another so i don't know i don't know china as well as you know i don't know china enough but like let's say you're in let's Delaware, pretend right? I live in, in los angeles yeah say okay so let's say you're in downtown los angeles right there's a metropolitan area let's say people are walking down the street you're on a street corner and you're mm-hmm. doing a survey if you ask the people hey do you know what a worker co-op is how many people do you think are going to say they know what a worker co-op is?
0: Very few, probably less than ten percent.
1: Yeah, and if they do, if it is that, and if they do say they they know what it is, and you ask you you drill them harder, they probably don't know what it is. But you know, I run into people that do know what it is. Trust me, I do on occasion, but it's very nominal at best. It's a very mm-hmm. nominal understanding. So there's no deep understanding, at least in Los Angeles. Um, so that's the number. You know, that's probably the number one reason is like they don't. A lot of workers don't even know this is an option. Right. The only people that I talk to that know this is that this exists are like radicals, um, is one, or there are people in the rural areas where co op organization had some kind of you know, there was some kind of tangibility, some kind of experience with some kind of co op, like a right. you know, the property grocery store, the electrical co ops that electrified, you know, the rural America during the 1930s when FDR cut a, cut a deal to them. Um, yes, yeah. so I mean, so that's number one, right? So that's you know, and I'm simplifying that too. But you know, just no sure, one knows. Sure. They don't even touch this in business school, by the way. They might give you a slide or something, um, but business schools will not touch this. So, um, in I don't know about elsewhere. And so that's okay. So number two is a this is another huge one, financing. You talk to banks, they have no idea what you are taught. You know, like they a lot of them don't even understand it. So that's like one issue is banks don't, they don't understand it. Um, and there are co-op banks that will loan to co-ops, but I, there's maybe 10 that's specialize. Okay. So um, yeah, so there's banks that will specialize in it. So, but like for the most part, most people that want to start co-ops, they have to dig for a long time because I'm still finding them. Mm, 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 I still mm, don't know what all of them are. Mm, yeah, I, like I know some of the bigger ones, but I've, I've dug deep and I've found more that do. And I had no idea. Right. Why, I, you know, I mean, so I have to dig for them deep. And and I'm someone who spends a lot of time doing this. That's what I was going to say. That is that that's quite problematic,
0: that if uh, if the financing is a big requirement that you need a particular finance option, you need capital to be to come to you from either a co-op bank or from a a bank that has a co-op options. But you as a specialist are taking time to find it. It's obviously not it's not readily available.
1: All right. Yeah. So I think your, your audience would really love this comparison. They're going to love this one because it's very class conscious. So it's like, all right, most entrepreneurs in the United States, they're successful because their parents gave them money. Donald Trump, you know, got a million dollar loan. I think it was a million, Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, 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 whatever, you know, like he got, I think it was a half million dollars, somewhere like 300,000 to a half million dollar loan. Um, or investment from his parents. Um, you know I mean? Bill Gates, he didn't get like a lump sum, but his mom was on a board of directors with a bunch of like wealthy people. So he had access to capital, um, right. or he had a- some kind of access, um, you know, that the average American didn't have. Um, so it wasn't, you know, his story was a little different, but, um, the, the almost the same, you know, in the sense of his right. access to some kind of capital or connections or something like that. So, yeah. All right, so now it begs a question. Now, if you go to uh, let's say you go to a restaurant and you go to the chefs, right? You know, in the kitchen. Yeah. Hey, hey, do you want to start a business? Let's put up the money. Do you think? Do you think nine times out of ten, do you think they're going to have the money to, you know, drop like a half million dollars, or the all the workers together are going to have the money drop a half million dollars? Probably not. Okay, so that's one. That's so that's one issue is capital, but it it goes deep. This rabbit hole goes deeper though, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't stop there. Okay. Okay. So, but yeah, capitalization, you know, just to, you know, round that up or close that out is, yeah, I mean, where do you find capital for this stuff? You know, the SBA just started loaning, you know, (laughs) just started loaning the co-ops, you know, recently. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, so it's like, I don't know, it's just kind of funny to me. So it's just, it's just kind of strange, you know, so, um, but, um, all right. So the third, the third um, reason I would say is lack of institutions. So. (laughs) I think that's another, it's not as big as financialization and lack of knowledge. Um, I think this one's tied to the first one, you know, lack of information, but this is kind of more of a deeper discussion. Is like, okay, if you're a business owner, where can you go to get support? The Chamber of Commerce. Right. I don't know. There's like some cities have secret, you know, little clubs or little, you know, good old boy sure. clubs and stuff.
0: You can there's councils and stuff, yeah, yeah
1: whatever, you know, like you, you know what I'm talking about. Like there, there's, there's, there's different kinds of uh, organizations that if you want to join, like if you want to join a union um, in the United States, there's still, I mean, it's nothing like it used to be, but there still are union halls they exist. I mean, in certain parts of the country, more metropolitan areas, but sure, there's, there's sure. an institution there still to some extent, you know, where if you want to start a co-op, where do you go? Exactly. You know, right now, like, where, where do you go? You know? And, you know, that's, that's an in- intriguing question because it's like, you know, works is trying to be one of those areas and we okay. find people that are, they have, there's a bunch of trains that haven't left the station in the co-op world and in, in Southern California and around the country that I talk to them and I'm able to get them out of the train station, you know, because I'm giving them the resources, but there's not a lot of people like works is maybe like 20 organizations and all, a lot of them don't have a lot of capacity. They don't have they don't have expertise. They don't okay. have an understanding of economics or business. You know, what I mean, they might they you know a lot of them may have learned about you know governance models and things like that, but they don't. And you know, they might have access to capital, but they don't have any other kinds of understandings to help get a you know get them off the ground. You know, what I mean, so so yeah, so think of it like that. Um, or there's not a cooperative business council or you know right. small. You know, there's not a small business association or administration or cooperative. Except in the rural areas, I will check myself on that. There is, you can get co-op financing through the Department of Agriculture, but that's a that's a harking back from uh, the FDR era, the New Deal era. Sure, sure. sure. So there's, so that's one reason. Uh, That's another reason. I would say um, a fourth reason would be culture, Um, Mm -hmm. to an extent. You know, I'm going to I'm going to debate myself on this, but understand me when I say it is um, because, you know, I've I've seen I've seen things that contradict this very statement. But, you know, Americans are typically are very individualistic. Right. Uh, But I'm going to actually on the other hand, I'm also going to say there are a lot of there is co-op culture, whether people know it or not. I find random people all the time that like co-ops more than they're not as individualistic as you think they are. Mm. And you just expose to alternatives in a way that you know is understandable or I don't know compatible with the way they think, you know. Um, mm. I find them all over the place. It's you know, one of one of the things that has to do with lack of institutions to teach this kind of behavior or to value this kind of behavior and things mm. like that. Um, so yeah, I, I would have to say that's a, a yeah, sure,
0: I, I'm sure that, that must be a part of it, right? The whole. The, the, the settler for lack of a better mindset you know going out the pioneer going out and conquering things from self and um, you know his household myself the the Protestant work ethic um, that that I suppose does play a role into it in some degree right
1: yeah so there but there's a but there is there is a counter to that too so like for instance um it's like you know one of the biggest you know most popular shows you know I brought it up Disney is the Mandalorian the Mandalorian a cowboy you know what I mean? And that's very popular in America. But at the same time, if you look at Star Wars, it's some farm kid. Um, it's a farm kid, you know, that wants to help restore democracy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and every, You know, it's a farm kid that, you know, he descended of some kind of warrior of some sort of some sort. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, just kind of like popular culture is there are right. there are there are contradictions. There is the value of democracy, though, within American culture. But right. there's also there's also that contradiction you know, within our culture as well, where, you know, being like, you know, the new Elon Musk is, you know, right. their divine right of Kings in and yes. not in the form of, you know, we reject Kings, but when it comes to billionaires yes. uh, who are the Kings of capitalism, you know, we do have this kind of, there is kind of a cult behind that, but there are these democratic values that are everywhere within, we still have democratic institutions that are yeah. followed out. They're not very, you know, I would say on the federal state um, and sometimes the local level, they're, Kind of hollowed out but they're still there
2: mm,
1: mm, the institutions mm. are not that they're effective or anything but they' they're there right 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 you okay know? okay, so, okay. So, There's so, so. a culture there is a culture clash there and I think the more dominant culture is like the capitalistic culture where the other culture there it's it's always been around but it just hasn't you know
0: mm. Mm.
1: so you know, I mean I guess
0: you've mentioned the yeah, four things so the the information or sort of lack of people knowing about the the ideology for lack of a better term, um, capital institutions and then and culture, so as, as the reasons why
1: co-ops aren't um, pervasive around the U.S. Um, I mean, I would say culture, yeah, I think culture hegemony, but there is, right. but there is contrary culture. I think, you know, right,
0: right. I mean, so obviously, one of the principles of cooperatism is this. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, it was the Arismendi bakery guys. They, they obviously take four percent of their surplus, and they make a fair bit of money one or seven million dollars between those numbers every year and four percent of that surplus goes towards helping um i suppose co-ops in their network or co-op projects that they're working on so um yeah you did mention that also as much as there are co-ops doing that and adding uh, taking surplus and adding to a bigger project but at the same time there, there isn't a solid or stable or easily uh, or well-known um National apex or national body where every co-op or person intending to be in a co-op can sort of chip their money towards and have a sort of more centralized, uh, singular place to go to. Right? That, that that's lacking at the moment. Right?
1: Not not like Mondragon. I mean, there's the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops, and you can join them, but it isn't like Mondragon. It's more of like a business association, but it's very it's very small. Uh, like I said, there's only like 600 co-ops you know, in the country. So right. I, and just to kind of like let you know, like there's millions of businesses in, in the United States of yes. one sort or another, but there's only like 600. Um, there's only 600, uh, you know, worker co-ops. So, Great. but it's growing. It's growing. Okay, okay.
0: sure, sure, sure. Okay. Um, I, I mean, the co-ops that you come across, are they practicing that element of corporatism to to like a, a big degree? Are they taking Are they taking a surplus and putting it towards helping other co-ops?
1: Some some are, like, you know, the more successful ones are, or the ones that kind of have, like like I said, the Arizmendi Bakery was inspired by the priest, you know, like he was inspired by Arizmendi and what he wanted to do and accomplish, where other co-ops are like, just employees that wanted to buy their boss out because they didn't want to lose their job. There wasn't really like this, there wasn't like this larger mission that they had. It's, it's more of like, oh, man, you know, let's like save our livelihood and, you know, because the owner died or, you know, I, I, I come across this kind of stuff all the time. Um, yeah. Or, you know, or it's, it's, it's a fight against the mobility of capital, for instance, where the, you know, they tried, they unionized, but then the owner said, oh, yeah, you unionized. I don't want to deal with you anymore. So I'm, we're moving out of town or closing shop. And then the workers are like, oh, yeah, well, check this out. We're just going to do what we're doing and uh, we don't need you. So it's, it's a way of fighting the mobility of capital for some of these, but it's not like I've, I've never seen, there's a lot of co-ops I don't see with the larger vision of democratizing mm-hmm. the economy. Because, like, why, why do that? You know, why do that? As, modern, you know, as much as people bag on Mondragon, I'm going to say something that a lot of people don't really understand about Mondragon um, that um, is, like, the positive side. Cause you, know, you know, I hear people like Vosh. I've been mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't really like Mondragon's like, you don't understand Mondragon, you know, like it's like, so, so let me, let me, you know what I mean? Cause like, you know, I was just on a conference call with Mondragon earlier today. So it's like, let me understand, let me tell you, or, you know what I mean? Let me tell you what this is. So <clears throat> what is the bigger vision? What could be, what can be done, you know, uh-huh. with a cooperative society and you know, Mondragon is a, a confederation of like 250 different co-ops, right? And they have a mother organization. It's one co-op would vote for the mother organization, and all kick up surplus. Now, why, why does that even matter? Why, why would you even do that? Who cares? So, mm-hmm. let me tell you. So, during the 2008 financial crash, you know, the subprime mortgage crash, where you know, yeah, all yeah, yeah. hustling, right? You know, i don't have to mm-hmm. explain. There was a Minsky moment, you know, and what happened was it all came tumbling down because there's too many defaults, right? So, what ends up happening? So, the stock market crashed. Okay, so what happens when the stock market crashes? People hold on their money for dear life because they don't, things are, the market is so scary that they're, instead of like going to the bar, you know, five times a month, now they're only going once a month. Instead of spending money on clothes, now they're not, you know? So what's happening is there's a constriction of capital because things are too crazy. It's a rocky sea and they're just holding on, just waiting for things to kind of settle down, right? So what ends up happening? Sales go down, right? When sales go down, what happens?
0: People get laid off.
1: People get laid off, right? And then what happens is when people get laid off, then what happens?
0: Unemployment, poverty.
1: Sure. Yeah, that that happens. You know, people get yeah, that's part of it. And then you know, but mainly what I'm going is like they get evicted. They have okay, yes, yes, right, right, mortgage. They lose their home because they lose their income, right? And then what? Then they're they're on the street, homeless, or they have to move back with their parents or whatever it is, right? So, and then then what happens? is the landlords no longer can find people to rent out the prices that they need in order to pay back the loans from the banks. So right. what happens is this, it's a systematic contradiction, right? And then what happens is the bank, the landlords start defaulting and then against the banks and then the banks, you know, then there's another, you know, so what happens if it goes deep, we can go deeper down this rabbit hole because sure, then, sure, sure, then sure. the landlords are fighting against, you know, not paying more taxes against unemployment and all this other stuff happening. So, but I don't want to go there. So, but my point is, It's a systematic breakdown when there's meltdowns. And I think the only reason why we escaped a meltdown in the last year was in the United States. I don't know about China, but it's because there was, you know, preventing evictions. There was unemployment. It was pretty disastrous. I mean, I think there was like 80 million people um, that had to go on unemployment at one point in the last year. I think it was like yeah. 50% of the population at one point. So, but okay, so in Mondragon, let's, let's go back. So I wanted to show you yes. what we're dealing with here in the United States, the most extreme form of capitalism in the world today. Right. Um, right? So, um, and, but in Mondragon or in Bas- the Basque region, I should say, well, Mondragon's more dominant. It's probably like 10% of the economy of that part of uh, Spain and also a lot of the other businesses are retainer businesses. You know, Maybe. they're retained by them they're like subordinate businesses if they're not coops you know so if they're not directly in the network so um what happened was okay they they took a hit just like anyone else the sales went down because it was a, an international catastrophe you know as far as financial goes but instead of laying everyone off guess what they did
0: they, they kept everyone off. on and they and they just uh they, they shifted surplus to help out i don't know
1: no, it's fine. Most, a lot of people don't know this, you know? So what happens was they all cut their wages collectively. So instead of, instead of pinpoint, you know, instead of uh, uh, focusing the hurt on laying people off, what they did was they all collectively took a hit. It wasn't even super dramatic. It was like 10 to 20% hit. And then they cut stupid expenses because everyone knows a big company with this, you know, dumb expenses that people have on the expense account sometimes. So they got rid of that. Then they, you know, um, then they also cut their hours. They weren't working full time; they became like part time. But they were all able to keep their job, and they owned because they owned it, you know, collectively at Mondragon. Okay, but the rabbit hole goes deeper than that. What about so right. you know, paying back? You know, what about paying rent or you know paying a mortgage? They have housing co-ops that a lot of those workers live in. So imagine an apartment complex where the tenants are themselves are their own, you know, board of directors and right. own it. Number one vote. It, a housing co-op is like. It's sort of like a condo, especially if it's not a condo. You own the unit. We're in a, you know, a housing co-op. You own the business that owns the housing unit. So right, it's owned, right. Just to kind of give you an idea, and yes, 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 yes. so they didn't get kicked kicked out if they owed, you know. So they collectively like lowered the rents. Uh-huh. Okay, but nice. what about like what what about paying back the the bank? You know, if they had to take out money for maintenance or I don't know whatever thing they need, you know, needed. Well, those are their credit unions. So, you know, when I hear people say, oh, Mondragon this, Mondragon that, it's like, yes, you're focusing on some of the horrible things, but look, (laughs) they're giving us a glimpse in the future. Sure, sure. And they're giving us a glimpse in the future in a way that um, a lot of Americans can't even imagine. And even a lot of the critics of Mondragon don't even want to bring up. Right. They don't know. You know, so it's you know, I mean, so it's not like I don't get paid by Mondragon, but you know, I was on a call with them for a platform co-op earlier. We were talking about like you know, doing Uber, like a competition at Uber and things like that. And there's someone developing something, and Mondragon right. does stuff too. So it's like they're on the call too. But um, yeah, it was, um, it's, it's kind of a really intriguing. It's intriguing where like we're Mondragon's giving us a glimpse into what the next economic system is going to be like, not. You know what I mean, of what what could be possible within the constraints of the current system of communication, mm-hmm. transportation, and everything else that facilitated the current system. You know, but it's fascinating stuff.
0: Okay, I mean, I think that we'll, uh, you, you you brought something up there. You're saying that the Mondragon option, that or route, um, at least in some shape or form, is the future, and it's it's obviously a lateral uh, economy of scale. But I mean, let's let's look at it right now. So, um, in in a market economy, so you know, like, like Spain or like the US, you've got your private monopolies. They operate with economies of scale. Um, they've got, you know, vast amounts of cheap imported goods. Um, but so, so, so what? Are co-ops, are co-ops not doomed to be uncompetitive, to, to, to fail? I mean, or, or to only ever be on the fringe? I mean, even in Spain, uh, Mondragon is, is, as you said, 10 percent of the economy in some sectors. Still pretty small, right? Um, so are they still not doomed? I mean, isn't the future more likely to be, uh, even with something like ride-sharing, we've seen the emergence of a monopoly, you know, uber-monopoly. Um, and so aren't we just doomed to have monopolies in a, a free-market economy?
1: No. Um, I mean, I mean, okay, so I understand, because capitalism has different phases, right? It has a competitive phase, and then it has a monopolistic phase. And the only way to break a monopolistic phase is if there's another, enough people at the bottom of society – Break it like with uh, with Theodore Roosevelt, you know, where they created as part of the Department of Justice to break up monopolies. Not you know, and when there's no movements, you know, it's like it's just like this. Someone gets paid in that office not to do anything, you know. So um, I think, like I said, man, um, like I said, like let me get let me give you a few answers for that. Like in in the United States, there's something remarkable happening right now, right? So what's happening? It's called the silver tsunami. Okay, so the silver tsunami is. Okay, so 70% of all businesses or mid, small to mid-sized businesses in the United States are going to change hands in the next 20, 10 to 20 years. Okay. And, right? So it's, what's going to happen is, there, well, there's a few things that could happen. Now, um, it could all get absorbed by big capital or corporate America where you know they're going to eat up, they're going to eat their young or they either smaller competition, just become more consolidated. So that's definitely a possibility. Um, and no doubt, you know, It's no doubt could happen. Um, Another thing could happen is they can't find a buyer. So they kind of sell the business for parts and all the uh, workers lose their jobs. Um, So that's one thing. And then there's also a third option. Mm -hmm. Workers could take it over.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now there's different, there's different movements happening in the United States right now. It's like public banking, you know, in LA, for instance, I talked to the public banking coalition where they're trying to create public banks in California and Los Angeles. One of their specific things they want to do is finance worker co-ops. None of this okay. is none of this is materialized yet. You know, but they're gonna pass it. Like literally, we're talking about within this year, and all the people are on board with it. They said what they needed to say to whichever politician that would support it. It's a very easy kind of thing to pass, considering the economic conditions happening right now. Right. So so there's there's different things happening. And then there's also Ideological shifts are happening in the United States right now as well. You know the millennials and Zoomers, for instance, now outnumber the baby boomers, and that's been a truth. You know, number numerically, that's been the fact since last summer. That's when it shifted last summer. So there's a lot of material conditions happening in the United States at this very moment. um, That I would say that it's going to be a big. Boom, at least in you know the United States. And like I said, the concept of democracy not foreign. You know? Mm -hmm. And I just Mm -hmm. it's not a foreign concept to people. And Mm -hmm. some parts of the United States, even in the red areas, it's as American as American pie. You just can't you just have to package it a certain way to not scare Mm -hmm.
0: them. Gotcha. Okay. Okay.
1: But I mean, just on
0: on 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 the economic side of it. So um, in particularly, like if you're producing, let's say you're a, a co-op that's a clothing co-op, um, and you've you know you've got help from a, a good network, so even even in a, in, a, in a sort of friendly environment, let's say that the co-op's set up, it's got capital from a, a co-op network, it's got a co-op marketing board and everything, um, but it's produce it's producing uh, whatever produced uh, manufactured goods. So let's say it's clothing, let's say it's um, whatever, um, but it's competing with you know, imported goods from the third world, from India, uh, from Indonesia, wherever. And so it's produced, it's competing against a firm that pays it's, it's, you know, it's stuff like $1 an hour or $5 an hour, whatever it might be. And it gets, can produces these, these cheap, cheap goods, and they come in on bulk. And now that's, that's the market that it's competing in. So, uh, why, why would the co-op succeed in that environment?
1: Why would the co-op succeed if uh, okay, if they're you know sourcing it's competing against cheap goods. Really so cheap they're goods. like like I said, when it comes to certain things, technological advances are gonna have to happen, like with th- like Rifkin gets into this with like three D printing, where yeah. that's gonna completely transform manufacturing and what's gonna okay. happen is find things that are gonna be the marginal cost is gonna be near zero. So we're not yeah. really gonna fix that. But he says that's gonna be a forty year transition between now and the year twenty sixty, assuming climate change is gonna wipe us out. Right. So what's going to happen, though, in the meantime, is there's going to be certain places where we're just not going to be able to touch yet until mm. these, in, until these technical, you know, for instance, the, the massive the massive economies of scale that some of these major companies have. We're not going to be able to do it until those technological advances happen. It's just like, mm. you know, what I mean, and I mean, it's sure in theory it's hard to turn it like a co it's hard to turn like a lot of things too, is you don't want a co-op that's super big. Like for instance, Mondragon a big lesson we've learned from Mondragon is they limit their co-ops to like 500 people from what I've read. And Mm -hmm. so, and the the reason why is because it's hard to keep it a democracy above 500 people. So what they do is they cleave off. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's a supermarket, right? And all of a sudden there's 500 employees, but they're like, Oh no, you know, now we have 600, right? And then what they're going to do is they're going to start, uh, they're going to start uh like making the deli section its own co-op or the bakery mm-hmm. section its own co-op they'll all still be integrated through like a mother organization through like a federation or they could structure another way like if there's Oberon. that's a really interesting thing you know interesting structure as well it's not quite a federation but it's 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 still like worker owned and operated and things like that. So there's other structures that have been created by the Federation and some of these other organizations, but mm. yeah, I mean, there are, like I said, man, if you want to get out of, you know, you know, Rifkin makes the point of, um, you know, if you're going to, if we're going to have a post-capitalism society, um, you know, you have to have differences. We're going to have to create the infrastructure for it. What energy mm. in and transportation have to <sighs> change um, And he, one of the things manufacturing is going to change is through 3d printing. He gets into the, the nuts and bolts of how that's going to change, but, you know, printing, you know, manufacturing things in the third world and then shipping it all the way to, you know, the United States is not going to be a thing in 40 years because of the, uh, the advances of 3D printing and also all the other things like communication, transportation, and everything like that. So, yeah. You
0: know. mm. Okay. I mean.
1: I know. I don't have a. It, the, we're not going to do it now you know what's going to happen sure 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 no i i you're 2021 it's not going to happen because of right. like can scaling up co-ops is very hard right um you know for one and you know you could do employee ownership you could do better things now than you know the the old models like co determination and things like that but i think there's going to be have to be a few changes and a handful of things in order for us to break down a lot of these really vertically inter- integrated and you know top down structures sure sure <laughs>
0: yeah I mean, I'll just remind you. Obviously, I'm just playing the devil's advocate here. But um, um, so, I mean, you've mentioned that in order to uh, to make this lateral economy of scale, the sort of cooperative economy that you're talking about, the, the future of of, of production, um, you know, you, you mentioned that, of course, it, it, it's going to require a lot of it's going to require a lot of uh, investment, capital, money, right, infrastructure, obviously, an ideology. It's going to require also technology, and obviously, technology specifically. I think I'll just go into one thing. Um, you know. Technology is, is, is a very expensive thing to develop, right? So particularly 3D printing and, and the kind of technologies that we <coughs> that are emerging now are very expensive. So um, they will most likely be developed by the firms that have the most capital right now, which is your private firms. Uh, no? So 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 how, how would a co-op be able to exploit technology? Uh, and why wouldn't a private firm be able to exploit it too? So for example, you said 3D printing. Um, okay, fine. Yeah, so so there, familiar, right? there was just but,
1: one but, part. There was one part of your the one part of what you're saying which is sure. kind of like a misconception. Whereas, okay. sure, there are companies that create technology and bring us to the no- you know, further down to knowledge. But what's okay. not really known to a lot of people is that a lot of tech, a lot of technology, is not produced by private firms. A lot of it's produced by the government, where through taxpayer money. Like for okay. instance, every single piece of technology I am using right now to communicate with you on my phone was de- every single piece was developed by the United States government. And then okay. all Apple did was they curated all that technology and put it on a phone and made it a marketable device to millions okay. of people. You see what I'm saying? Where or right. like, you know, internet was not developed by, you know Al Gore did not invent, you know, he didn't invent the internet. It was it was really like NASA and some of these other other like technology sure. you know technology sure. like universities, uh, uh federal agencies and things like that, that use taxpayer money to develop a lot of this kind of stuff. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: That's a corporate contribution. Sure. Right? I think that needs to be kind of clear though, is we don't, it's not like we have to kneel to corporate America to get the technology we need in order to move or progress as a society. And I think that just needs to be kind of understood where they could, they could actually be the ones that develop it, but it's not like it's a one-to-one necessary relationship.
0: So. Cool. Okay. Okay. Um, On the other point, though, so 3D printing. um, okay, so that stops the importing of cheap goods from India. But what about a private firm who just then has the same 3D printers that a co-op would have and operates on just a much, you know, on a stripped down race to the bottom sort of operation, which means it can still beat the co-op's products on price at the marketplace?
1: Yeah, no. So that's. That's, that's a question I can't answer to you at this moment. You know, like there's still going to be problems that need to be, you know, there's still going to be, there's still going to be some competition. There's still going to be capitalistic markets, you know, or at least markets. I, I think the other thing too, you know, Richard Wolf kind of brings this up a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, to kind of like to understand like the market is the market's not like a capitalist thing per se. It's like there were feudal markets, there were slave-dominated markets, and what happens is whatever economic system or mo- like dominant mode of production or way of doing business yeah. are the ones that form the conditions of the market. For instance, like for instance, um, you know, like capitalism has to, had to exist and adjust within the feudal markets, and they had a tough time until you know energy transportation and communication technologies allowed it to be the global system that it is today, such as mm-hmm. a wind sails and steam engines and other kinds of things for transportation of boats that created, you know, colonies and markets and other places, printing press, telephone, you know, things like that. And also fossil fuels where, yeah. So, I mean, um, but, you know, to, to bring it, what's going to happen is co-ops are likely to going to coalesce. They're going to be enough of them. Uh, they're going to be enough of the market where they're going to start, Uh, needing political representation. And then when they get political representation to, you know, further their interests. So what's going to happen is they're going to start making laws that make it easier or more competitive for co-ops to exist in this market uh, Mm -hmm. to help them dominate or help them have at least a competitive edge against traditional capitalist firms as well. So keep in mind, keep that in the, keep that like thought in the back of your head as well is Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that simplistic in the sense of like, oh, co-ops are just going to have to race to the bottom. It's like I think with, if co-ops, let's say, you know, I used, I like to use this analogy like all the time, especially with people that hate, don't like co-ops, or they're, they're going to, you know, be the same as capitalistic firms. It's like imagine if forty to sixty percent of the economy was like a worker co-op. or Do you really think we're going to live in the same society that mm-hmm. we right now? That's a mm-hmm. big hard no. Mm-hmm. You know, big hard no. It would be ridiculous to say yes, you know, and the reason why is, um, you know, for the reason of, you know, they were they're going to make laws and they're going to make market conditions that favor them over capitalistic firms once they get, uh, uh, you know, bigger, you know, once or they become more of a dominant part of the economy. So,
0: mm-hmm. okay, okay, uh, there's actually something that you mentioned there, which I think uh, there's two parts we go into. Uh, earlier in the beginning, you said that obviously you try and get co-ops, your your, your, uh, your project works, Gets tries to get workers to turn their businesses into co-ops. So I just want to know what the kind of conversion rates are like on that, but also on the back end too. But that's also a, a challenge, I'm sure, to co-ops. And I know this has been a problem in other parts of the world. For example, South Africa had a, a big co-op movement and lots of them demutualized. They became private yeah. um, firms. So what's
1: that like? The conversion rate, and then also the the deconversion rate how do those, those the stats happen? there's it, dude it's such we're such a nascent movement that like there, nice. really, there isn't any like empirical evidence of like what that is yet because we're in the very beginning of this phase in the United States where this is starting to become a thing like you know i I'm was working I'm working on like a cabin resort for instance in in California that you know wants to turn into a co-op and you know what I mean so it's like there's just a lot of these it's just like it's we're in the very beginning stages of this. Um, so it's like, when it comes to like, you know, looking at performance, yeah, I think it's a little bit too early, but you know, to per- like, how, how would we prevent de- you know, demutualization? There's actually ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like I said, I don't think a lot of those South African co-ops ever federal, you know, they ever, they didn't create a federation. Now, Arismendi is a very interesting model, of what they do. And, you know, I've thought about this, but they actually do this.
0: If so how do they, how do they
1: do it? Sorry, what? Ah, so how does, how does Arizmendi do it? So Arizmendi is really interesting in how to prevent demutualization or degeneration as it, you know, as the bearded one called it, you know, like what it was is um, pretty much if a worker co-op wanted to sell the first right refusal to sell would have to go to the Federation. Okay. Okay. So let's say that all the worker owners are like, I'm over it. I don't want to do this anymore. So before they demutualize, they have to sell the Federation. Now, if they sell the Federation and The federation buys them out. Guess what happens?
0: They, so they'll, re, they'll re-mutualize it.
1: They'll re-mutualize it. Gotcha. So right. there's there's definitely solutions. I, like I said, right. there's been kinds of failures, man. But there's all kinds of ways to fix these problems. Right, so right.
0: Right. right, 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 right. Okay. No, that's that's good. I, I'm glad you asked onto that one. That's nice. it's a nice it's a nice solution. I like the uh, the Erzmendi model. That's pretty clever. Um, all right. So what what kind of relationship does I mean, you've said co-ops are pretty small. They're tiny, 500 to 600 firms. Uh, in America. Across. In, America. In, in America. In America, of course, in America. Um, but uh, and, and you, I guess you've answered this partially. So other businesses and society in general. So some banks don't even know what they are. People don't know what they are. Um, there's generally not the infrastructure, like, in terms of people's habits or even knowledge to, to help grow co-ops. Um, so yeah, I, I guess right. it it's kind of the start. It's the start of the process, right? Yeah, it's a start of a process. Sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, let's let's start with first, like, what would you like to see uh, for co-ops? Like, what's a breakthrough look like to you for, for the co-op movement?
1: Um, there's a lot of things that could be said um, about like a breakthrough. Um, like, I think laws would be the first okay. thing. Like, you know, there's been some breakthroughs in California where we we actually have like a A law that recognizes co-ops, like, you know, you can form as an LLC, an S-corp, a C-corp, and now it's a law. So that's like a breakthrough because there's tax benefits, you know, would be one thing. Um, Another thing would be having a political candidate. And, you know, there are, they they exist, you know. You know, he was big, he had a giant movement, and, you know, he got, he didn't get the nomination, but. Who is this, sir? Bernie Sanders, you know, and and by uh, the way, I don't, I don't endorse Bernie Sanders uh, because I'm a nonprofit organization, but um, so, uh, so like, you know, and you know, I I can't endorse a candidate, but like pretty much, but he's a very interesting character because there's all these old school footage and he addressed the U S Federation of worker co-ops talking about like how he wants worker ownership. So if someone like that were able to get into, like be very public about it and kind of put it into the minds of all the Americans Mm -hmm. of like, they actually know what it is because this, you know, this guy became president or, you know, and he talked about it, um, getting like massive regulation, like the big federal regulation would be like a major breakthrough. Uh, other breakthroughs would be, um, um, creating like a network of public banks that would start financing them you know, there's other politicians like, you know, Ralph Nader that have like some kind of plan for like national, you know, national public bank infrastructure, like back in the day that I've read over and over again. So, I mean, just having like getting like major, you know, financial sources or let's say like chase bank all of a sudden says, yeah, we'll, we'll loan to co-ops. That'd
0: okay. Be like, that'd
1: be like, <laughs> that'd be like extraordinary. You know, I, I don't, I, but I'm not also not, that's not, gonna happen. but like, but it would be interesting. But, um, all right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, those would be, like, kind of, like, major breakthroughs, I think, would be, like, those very nascent steps or those very beginner kind of steps of just getting the – getting all the barriers of entry to lower. Right, right. You know, right. all misconceptions to lower. So it's like mm. everyone's on the same page. They may not like them or they might, might want to do it, but at least they know what it is. You know, they at least know it's an option.
0: It sounds like it might be a chicken and egg scenario, so obviously – the banks and the bill, the bills and the laws aren't necessarily there to assist with the building of the co-ops by lowering the barriers, but they're not there because there isn't a big movement of co-ops that are demanding them. Is that, is that an accurate description?
1: Uh, in part. Um, okay. Partially. Um, some of the wiser ones know exactly what work co-ops are, um, you know, and they have been, you know, so it's, I know people aren't, in business schools and in the higher ups in the business world. I know there was tensions with credit unions, you know, with the big banks, you know, especially after Occupy when there was like $2 billion shift in capital. It's not like, that's not like a huge amount, like in terms of banking amounts, you know, we're talking about, but you know, there, I I do remember there was legal issues um, between credit unions and big banks where, you know, I, I think, um, you know, they, they know the tensions, but yeah, I mean, the, the movement for co-ops is growing. So there, I mean, there is something to be said that there is a like of
2: right.
1: ass movement, but it's not like there isn't, you know, like I do know, like for instance, I've talked to maybe, I don't know, 30 DSAs chapters around the United States about getting a cooperative council. And some yeah. of them have some sort of cooperative council already to some sort or an ESOP one or some kind of, you know, we, I helped, you know, I helped create one in LA, for instance, and uh, I've talked to Orange County and some of these other places. So it's it's the the conversation's getting stronger, um, okay. you know, especially with people like Richard Wolf, right? Uh, you know, talking and stuff like that. Like you know, I brought I brought Richard Wolf to Orange County uh, in a uh, 2015, I think it was, and everyone's laughed at me. Said there was only going to be ten people there, and yeah, so many people showed up. How many people showed up? 600. 4 to Okay. Yeah. Wow. To, to Orange County. Most right. Right wing place in California, you know? So it's like, it's so it's like the, the winds are changing. So it's, I don't know, you know, like, so yeah, I guess you could say the chick, chicken or the egg, the egg, but I think what's going to happen is like some kind of symbolic breakthrough is going right. to happen where like um, all the economic conditions that are there, all the political attitudes that are emerging. Um, right. There's just some, like it's it's a rotten door that needs to get kicked down, and someone someone's going to just kick it mm. this rotten door down, and that's that's what's going to happen. So nice,
0: yeah. Okay, I like that. It sounds like a bit of, of a bit of a prediction then, hopefully for the future of clubs.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> let's let's assume let's assume uh, you know some of the other forces of our society don't take over. You know, um, so I mean, there's a lot of I'm assuming a lot of things. Let's assume that you know things are relatively still stable, but they're getting worse, and mm. there is. Isn't some, something catastrophic that happens, like a war, you mm. know, with China, or you know, which is, t- you know, I, I'm just assuming things, you know, but there are there are definitely conditions that are becoming more favorable.
0: Okay, so I guess the, the last thing I want to ask is actually, um, let's say uh, I want to set up a co-op. I want to do this, like I want to get my 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 colleagues either I'm working somewhere currently. Or, or, or I want to set something up with some people. I've got some skills, some, some, some trades, crafts, whatever it is. I want to set up a co-op. Uh, I, I choose to come to works. Uh, how does it happen? What 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 What's the procedure?
1: So usually, uh, so you and your co let me just get this straight. So you and your co-workers want to start a co-op and you guys, you know, come come to me, right?
0: Yeah. No, let's actually, let's, let's go off rather... Uh, we don't work for a firm. Let's say that I, I, I want to make one with a couple other people that have got similar skills to me.
1: Sure. Okay. So first thing I ask is, all right, are you guys meeting on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. Yes. Know, like, are, have you guys been creating a, like a worker board, some sort of semblance? Because a lot of, you know, co-op banks, and we're going to make a video about this, about, you know, what co-op banks are going to be looking for, you know, like to do a startup or like a new thing. So we're going to mm. go into those kind of details or nuts and bolts with shared capital. Um, but yeah. So first, first thing I go is, okay, are you guys meeting on a regular basis. Cause you know, I talk to people all the time that are interested in co-ops, but they're not willing to like, they don't meet on a regular basis about, you know, doing co-ops and mm-hmm. you know, I can throw an opportunity at them, but they just don't have the internal organization to really get it rolling. Right. You know? Like, you know, so that's one thing I look for. So that's one, you know, key pillar is that another thing too, is I go, okay, great. Do you have bylaws? Okay. You know, like, do you have an actual, like, constitution or a charter, you know, for your enterprise, you know, meaning, like, you know, how your rules are set out? Because, you know, that's, it's important to get that stuff established in the beginning and lay that foundation.
0: Do you have a uh, constitution that you could, uh, that we could find on your materials, on your, like, website or something?
1: Um, I haven't posted it yet. There's actually a few different websites. Uh, I do have examples. I just haven't posted it yet. But there are places, there are places where you can find it, like sample bylaws. Um, you know, online you can find. Um, I'm I'm gonna curate I'm gonna curate some myself. I just haven't done it yet. I have a little note on there saying, Hey, I'm gonna do this, but I haven't done it yet. So um, but yeah. (laughs) But um yeah, so yeah, getting bylaws down so all your rules are because you know what happens is there's conflict if you if there's too much arbitration between, you know, what rules are, but if you kinda lay it down, uh lay it down early and then get and agrees to it, then you abide by it then it's, you know, it's more respectable, you know, so the the conflict is at least manageable, hopefully. Um, So there's that. Okay, another thing too is like, great, you guys have an LLC or S Corp or, you know, like, and then what I would probably do is I would have you talk to one of our lawyers that specializes in co-op law. We have one in uh, California, but, you know, we do have a network um, around the country in a few different states that would Mm -hmm. advise, because really that has to do with tax considerations, like an LLC would be great if you have people that are undocumented in the United States because you have to sign an I-9, which is like, you know, like, do you actually, are you a citizen the United States? Can you, or do you have a work or whatever? It's just mm-hmm. proof of citizenship or residency or whatever status. Um, mm-hmm. Other reasons, an S-Corp might be better for tax considerations. So, and then also just having the structure of, is it one member, one share, one vote? Mm-hmm. Right. Like no one has any you know no one has like more shares than the other person you know <laughs> so that's yeah. one that are um, other thing you know other things too are more business too more business related that are not necessarily have to do with the um, you know necessarily the structure i'd be like do you guys have your logo do you guys have your social media do you have what's your what's your sure. plan you know what's your business plan because really yeah. a co op is identical to a regular business except for the the management structure but it when it comes to marketing when it comes to um, you know a few other aspects of the business. I want to see a business plan to see if you guys how serious you are, and if you guys know what you're doing or where you want to go. But yeah, another thing um, you know that I want to see. Yeah, um, those are a few basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like other things too would be capitalization. Um, like, do you guys have enough money to do what you're doing? Because some of these start number one reason why businesses fail in the United States, maybe probably around the world, probably too. I don't know, but yeah, like. Like seventy to ninety percent of all businesses fail within the first like three years, and then right. the number one reason is undercapitalization. capitalization mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've seen, we've seen a lot of co-ops fail in Southern California for that exact reason where right. they're they're hanging on by a thread you know financially, and then something some thirty thousand dollar problem happens and they can't handle
0: yeah wow yeah, yeah you know? yeah, yeah. So, that's, it. that's it okay interesting, interesting, okay um. Oh, I actually, we did mention that we were were going to talk about, well, we have mentioned Rifkin, we have mentioned Rifkin, um, but I've just been conscious of the fact that we did mention we're going to talk about Marx and his stance on capital, on on co-ops, sorry, but, um, uh, you know, perhaps we can have that conversation at a different time, another another day, I think, I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground today, so so perhaps in the future we can have you on to discuss that, because I think, I think I'd love to have you on again to discuss some more details about co-ops, um, but, uh, yeah, this has been really, really fascinating, Patrick. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on. It's been uh, great.
1: Yeah, no worries. No worries. And, we'll uh, yeah, you can, if you guys want to learn more about, uh, you know, what Works does or uh, or just like co-ops in general, I have a lot of resources yeah. on my resource page. You know, yeah, so, you so where about we co-op. Find you? Oh, yeah, Works, uh, W-O-R-C-S-U-S-A dot O-R-G. Uh-huh. Works with a C dot O-R-G. Um, Find us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Works USA. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, we uh, we just we were just on uh, everything co-op, which is uh, I think it's it's by Mondragon or Mondragon okay. USA. It's affiliate. I think it's affiliated with them. But our uh, founder Liz Ryder was uh, had like two episodes recently on on that okay. radio station. Um, our board member Nikki O'Kook, who's the founder of Downtown Crenshaw Community Land Trust, that wants to buy the yeah. Crenshaw Mall. And uh, turn it into a co-op ecosystem. She has a TED talk, an official TED talk that um, is on our website. So, okay, wow, nice,
0: great stuff, brilliant. So, so we'll find all those resources. Thank you. so, thank you very much, Patrick.
1: Have an excellent day.
0: And that is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at MarxistThinkTank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.